I want to make stuff that I enjoy and not feel a pressure to make stuff because something did well and I need to capitalize on another thing or something. 1000%. Welcome back to ColorPod with Kazi. Thanks for tuning in. One caveat, our audio dropped around 45 minute mark and then we switched over to Instagram live audio. Just so you know, enjoy the episode. I'm so excited because we're going to be having a conversation with William H. Baker. You've probably seen his stuff. There was a video that popped up on my YouTube about a month ago, and it was how I created the nuclear effect from Oppenheimer. It had 1.2 million, if I'm not mistaken, views in about six hours. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And I've I'm familiar with William because I've been like seeing his stuff on Instagram. He does a lot of reels about like, how did I get this shot? And uh, his stuff is so freaking good. I watched that video and I was like, my brain is exploded. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And after that, I'm like, I got to bring him on. We got to have a conversation. Hello. What's going on, brother? It is so good to meet you. I've been watching your stuff, learning how to color grade from you for a few years. So this is really dope. Dude, thank you so much, bro. And right back at you. Like, I feel like you bring my love for cinematography back so hard because like I went to school for cinematography and then I just watch all your stuff and I'm like, like, I mean, grading, I love grading, but I love that. That was the reason why I got into filmmaking. And let's take that and just do a quick introduction. And then also a little bit about your backstory. What I do now is I make Instagram and TikTok content primarily on breaking down shots, how to set them up and stuff like that. I'll try to approach it as budget as possible. I do live in an area where there isn't much of a film industry, West Michigan. So not a lot out here in terms of infrastructure or like renting gear even. So it's uh, it's definitely a pretty interesting time trying to figure some stuff out. A lot of my background is just uh, eight-ish years ago, I started making YouTube videos with friends and I really enjoyed editing. So I kept pursuing filmmaking and just made short films with friends for a long time, um, doing some freelance stuff. And about a year ago, I decided I want to make some content. So I did and things went really well. So now that's that's what I do. Let's talk about this, right? So I, I saw a fun fact on your Instagram and I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's aware of it, but I got to share it. So on Instagram, you have 438,000 followers and you have only made 400 posts, which means you're gaining about 1,095 followers per post. And that's got to be like a record for most of the creators that I've interviewed. Like it just, it blows my mind. I'm like, where we are today, where let's just use you as an example. I mean, I'm originally from Chicago. So, you know, my cousin lives in Michigan and it's, it was just really funny. I'm like, okay, so it's one o'clock his time. It, it is central, right? Time zone? Uh, actually, it is Eastern. So it's two o'clock. Oh my God, it's two o'clock. Okay. And I was just like, look at what's happening where we live in a world where it doesn't matter if you're in Michigan, if you're in LA, you can learn and without having the big production houses to go rent your gear, whatever, and you can create content that can have such a crazy impact on an entire world. Majority of your content is focused on cinematography, right? Like, but I can easily tell that, you know, the editing skills are there. Everything has to come together. Like, that's just the world that we live in, in, in social media. Like, everything has to play a part. You can't be just great at one thing and then, like, drop the ball in other areas. So... 
Where did like your love for cinematography come from? That's a good question. I, I definitely started in editing and there was always something about the visual aspect of it that I really, really, really enjoyed. I don't know if there was anything specific that it came from. I just, I, I guess it felt a lot like visuals are a very powerful thing in, in a visual medium, obviously. A lot of it came from just over time. I had done, I had tried to keep everything pretty balanced, but lighting gear is one of the more expensive things to get into. Like you could spend a lot of money on a camera, but you could also get a relatively cheap one and something that would be pretty good. I use a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 4K, so $1,300 camera, that's not bad. But lighting, there's a ton of money that can get drained into just like grip gear and lighting gear. And I didn't have a lot of those resources, but I had just purchased a few lights before I started making content. And I felt as though I needed the most practice in cinematography. So I started doing more cinematography-oriented stuff as practice and to improve that skill. What's really insane is that I'm going to date myself, but I went to college back in 2006, 2007, and there were no LED lights. There was no aperture. And, you know, the biggest player in the game was Ari, and we couldn't afford their lights because each light was like $1,400. And and it did just one thing. Like it didn't even have bicolor. So you would Mm. just get like 3,200 Kelvin or 5,600, and then you would, you know, slap a Roscoe gel on it to get whatever color you want which a lot of old school cinematographers, including Deacons, like tend to do that today. Like he would rather mm-hmm. gel, you know, than like, you know, d- using LED. But still, I feel like where we came, like I totally believe with what you're saying, like lighting could drain so much money. And that is the biggest difference between like amateur production or professional production. But then with Aperture and with these companies, like where their gear is right up there, but the price margin, like the price is like just, it can be so affordable that you're just like, I'm going to spend $1,300 on a camera where if I know a little bit about color grading, I can make it look like a $10,000 camera. But then I'm going to spend $3,000 or $2,000 on lights and I'm good for like majority of it. And that is revolutionary from like when I go back and think about like, you know, learning to grade and how you have to come up with this list and find a rental house. And then every shoot became a chore. You can't just like get up and go do it. So that is like such a crazy thing. And one of the things that I want to kind of segue into is right now, which platform is your main focus? Like, is it Instagram, TikTok? YouTube? I would say right now, I want to trans- transition more into YouTube. I had wanted to for a while. There's just something about the, the full storytelling of a YouTube video that I really, really, really enjoy. I didn't expect the Oppenheimer video to do so well. I thought it would be this long process of kind of like getting into it and slowly transitioning things over. I don't want to be done with like Instagram and TikTok, but you can always take a bigger video like a YouTube video and bring it down into smaller short form content. So my focus right now is is moving into YouTube. It's so good. I want to jump into the following questions like that are going to be around this topic, Oppenheimer and like what happened on YouTube. But my first question is like, how did making reels like short form content play into making that long form video on YouTube? I think a lot of the short form, like the way that I format those breakdown videos, it's it was always something that was a little more of an involved video. Like there's, a, there's obviously short form content where it's like really quick thrown together. 
And my content was always pushing that boundary of like almost a minute or over a minute. So there was some involved editing and the overall process of breaking down a shot. I used a lot of the same wording and the, the talking head with the Oppenheimer video. A lot of that carried over. So it made it a whole lot easier to approach such a large project. And then I could add in the new stuff, which was, you know, getting footage on set while we're talking about it and setting up and stuff like that. So it, it definitely helped in keeping the monumental task of that project into something that was a little more manageable. I watched it again last night. I think this is like my third or fourth time. And I was like, this could be 13 or 14 different reels the way the information is delivered and i say it in a good way because when i watch your reels the thing that makes your reels so different than a lot of people's work and that's why the the views and the like ratio and shareability is so consistent is because you're not puking information and i feel like you know sometimes we see that content which is like ah you know there's like sometimes i'll like look at what worked what didn't work on like the stuff that i'm putting out and i go why didn't it work like I gave them so much more information. I gave them six tips, but like, why did this didn't work? But then when I gave them two tips at work, well, dummy, it makes sense. Like, I mean, it's only, you only have 45, 50 seconds. What are you doing? Like cramming like a whole YouTube video into it, you know? So it yeah. has to be that. And like the way your video starts and it's just like teaser. And then like, you're going to get this, but not just this. You're also going to get this, but not just this. We're also going to try that. And then some, Let's go. And, you know, like the beat drops and you're just like, whoa, dude, like, yes, I want it. And like I said, even watching it for the third, fourth time. And now I'm doing a little bit more breakdown of just like, OK, what is happening? Like, what is he doing? How is he leaning, like leading us into the second part and then the third part? And there's so much into it. And that's why I feel like it's so important for people to hear this, that you can't drop the ball on one thing and say, I only do this. Because when you do that, that will also help you do this better. And that's always mm -hmm. going to be the relationship. I feel like when you go deeper into the industry, like I worked on like episodic series and music videos and commercials and still do. And people just like stick to their little domain so tight that you just ask them one extra question and they go, whoa, dude, like that's not yeah. that's not what I do. Like I'm going to have to hook you up with somebody else. And I feel like in 2023, that's a really, really massive disadvantage. And I still get that from people so many times, even in my masterclass, where they're just like, yeah, Kazi, but I just don't have that personality. I can't be in front of the camera. I can't do this and that. And then they're like, I'm struggling to find work. I'm like, well, put your work out there. Like, this is your demo reel. Like, this is your portfolio. Taking that into account, like, I, I still want to ask you, like, so six hours in, obviously, you already answered. One of my questions here was, like, did you know that it was going to go viral? So obviously, you answered that. Like, and I feel like most of the time, people don't know. But six yeah. hours in, you go and open your YouTube studio. And it is obviously one of 10. And it's probably sitting at, like, a million views or something. How are you feeling in that moment? Actually, there is a cool story around it. So I went in with the goal of if this gets 5,000 views, then I call this a success. That's really good because that represents people who carried over from Instagram and TikTok. So I, I, my metric was like 5,000 views is good. I'm watching it go up in views in the first like hour or two. And I see it's at somewhere in the realm of like, four or 5,000. And there's tons and tons and tons of comments. And I thought that was crazy. I'm like, I'm getting a comment like every few seconds, and there's only a few thousand views. What I didn't realize is that the YouTube video 
takes a little while to update mm -hmm. on its view count. So when I went into YouTube Studio and I actually looked at the analytics, I saw this 150,000 number on that video. And I'm like, is that, is that right? Is that real? Jesus, <laughs> like, I, I didn't realize that was, that was how it worked. So oh my I, God. as I kept, I kept seeing the comments going in and there's like a few every second, I'm like, this is, this is probably accurate. And so in that first like five hours or so, it ends up at a couple hundred thousand views, which was way more than I was expecting. I was, I was all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, all the work we did was so, so, so worth it. Like, I'm so glad I put all this time and effort into this project. I was, I was just happy to have it and to put it out there. And like, it was a, it was a huge, huge success for me and my team. But to see that a lot of other people really appreciated it was really rewarding. Dude, it's like, yeah, it's beyond like a dream come true. Like we all had like our fair share of like successes in life that we measure successes. And I think this is like monumental. Like I literally went to incognito yesterday on YouTube and I typed in only Oppenheimer and I didn't even have to scroll down twice. I just like, it's just all Oppenheimer trailers and then it's your video. And I'm like, yes, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing that, you know, your, your work, cause the consistency is there, right? Like day in and day out, day in and day out. But again, very important thing to say, not garbage content, because I feel like one of the things that I want to keep bringing up and talk about is that uh, without naming any names, like, hey, put out content, seven things, eight things a day, 10 things a day. I think it's different if you're a doctor and you roll a camera and your room looks like whatever, and you just say a tip and you're like, wow, one million views. It's very different that compared to if you are a content creator and you're telling people what your stuff should sound like, what it should look like. If I'm doing an interview, am I prepared? Am I not prepared? Like always winging it might not be the cutest thing. And it's like, these are the things that I feel like people should know about because what happens is that now there's so much traffic. Three years ago, there were like five tutorials on on, on uh, Resolve. Now you go up there and there's like 5 million, right? And it's just like with that, what happens is that quality will matter again, right? Like, so now it's not just quantity, you know, let's talk about it, right? One month, like if I heard it correctly, like it took, it was like close to a month process to make that video, like the back and forth and everything. And I love the last part where you almost got it right, like with the bounce and like, you know, you're just like, okay, but no, I'm not going to stop yep. here. Like I'm going to go back and do it again. And that's where I'm just like, yes, like that freaking cheesy moment from like Spielberg where I'm like, jumping and giving high fives. I'm like, yes, let's do it right. You know, the thing that like impressed me so much and I'm like, I have to be in the same place as you even virtually and have to speak with you because I love people that are honest just in life. And I'm not talking about like you, you steal or you don't steal. I actually mean you're honest with what you do in life. And when I saw that video, I just saw the most amount of honesty. I'm like, this makes me go, dude, you're not going to bed at midnight if you have to finish this video or something like stay up till four. Like, I don't care. You have to do it. You have to go in all the way. And for you to have that much confidence in yourself that it's going to do well and I'm going to put in that much time. Is it just like 
whatever, like it's going to work or is, do you, do you have like a little bug of like, it has to be perfect if you're, if it's going to go up? I wouldn't say perfect. I try my very best not to have this metric of perfection every time I go and put something out because that can be really draining in the end. And like, there's always going to be imperfection with everything. There's, there's little things I would change about that video primarily in like some of the effects. I'm like, oh, we could have done it better, but hindsight and all, I could spend three months on it. I don't want to do that. Um, It's about putting in a really, really solid effort and looking for a certain product. I I knew for this video, I wanted to spend the time to make it at a certain level of quality. And something I I say is that when I was starting out, I could try as hard as I could, but there was just certain things that I wasn't able to do because I just didn't know how. And as you learn and grow more in your career, you end up learning how to do everything, but then it becomes a question of how much time are you willing to put into it? And for this particular video, I was like, I don't care how long it takes. I want it to be at 95%, like nailing those effects by 95%. And I'm okay if we only hit 90, but we're going to aim for 95. And I think we did. I think we did pretty good. I think we got around there. So I was always going in with that idea. And I wanted to post the video the weekend that Oppenheimer came out or the weekend after. And then it just kept getting pushed off because I had to keep editing it. But I wanted it to be that quality. So it was up a few weeks later. And I was really, really glad to put in that time. But but that's not going to be every project. Like some projects you're like, I don't want to give it that much because that can be really exhausting but pick the projects that you uh that you do want to do that with and then make those your your baby the thing that you really care about and spend the time on there's so much respect around what you just said where i wanted to put out the video the same week and i kind of wondered that too i'm like this video is about Oppenheimer, but it came out a few weeks later and I'm just like, I'm not the only one. And it's because anytime there is a new tool in Resolve, I feel like everybody feels like this is their opportunity to grab that market share. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, ah, like I, I just like read this newsletter. Let me go make a video and regurgitate. Just say these things out loud and I'm going to have 10,000 views in the first hour. Go, go get them, go get them. Always like if you if you go back three years and just like look at my channel, I'm just like, go, because what I'm going to do instead is wait till it becomes part of their user manual. I'm going to download it. I'm going to go to Starbucks and I'm going to open up that thousand page book. And then I'm going to go through and be like, okay, let me understand the inner workings of this and let me strip all the nerdy stuff out of it. And then let me just show people how I would use it and why I would use it that way. And I'm okay with leaving hundreds of thousands of views on the side because you want to go vertical or you want to go deep, right? Like that's that's always the thing. So with that video, you already got the answer. And I feel like this, I'm so happy for you that you got that affirmation that if this video had bombed, you would have been like, next time, guys, we will aim for 50% of the accuracy, but I want the video to come out on the same day. Because I want to tap into that, right, algorithm. But I feel like I'm so happy that that didn't happen. And I'm so happy that you brought it up here because people need to also know this because there is that thing about this culture right now where it's just like, got to be the first, got to be on every single trend. And then you go on somebody's page and it's like 17 different things that they're dabbling in because they're kind of, they're trying to hit a jackpot or like a lottery. And then once I find my thing, I'm going to run with it. You'll never run with it because if no. if you find your thing, all of a sudden, you know, you do a video on knitting and that blows up. Now that got 2 million views. 
You go, well, I just watched a tutorial for five minutes how to knit and it blew up. I don't know. I don't want to do this. I hate this, you know? But yeah. now you're yeah. doing it for the next seven years. I love like how detailed you are with your answers. And I feel like that's what's giving us like these topics to kind of touch base on. I do want to ask, do you have like any distribution channels, whether it's like blogs or, or you know, news outlets or something like, and especially for this Oppenheimer video when it came out, did you send out some emails to certain people and be like, spread it no not at all i didn't that's I ever really think about that actually that's really crazy and that and that's also really funny and refreshing i just remember like i put out my first youtube video ever and at the time i was on a lot of forums and blogs and reddit and all that stuff so i would prepare a video to go out but then i think one of the things that kind of gave me the edge in the beginning is that i was pretty good at understanding distribution so that's mm. like from my full-time job like you know i i, I learned to create uh, videos but we wanted to make sure that they reach all these outlets. And like, I had to talk to like people that were working at a certain blog and things like that. So when I did a video, I'm like, that's important. So like my first video ever on YouTube in three or four days was sitting at 5,000 views, which was a lot back then. It's just like, whoa, like I just made it like I, I know nobody. And it's because a lot of the views came from Reddit and Facebook, you know, uh, forums and blogs, different blogs and things like that. So that's why I was just asking, because I'm just like, sometimes you give it a little push in the beginning and then it just goes. Obviously, I don't do that anymore because half of those places I don't even like to be a part of because I feel like with color grading, it's very easy that people people take it and turn it into rocket science and everything mm. is like very complicated. And when I was learning color grading, I wanted to run away from that because it, quite frankly, just made me sound stupid and, and think that I was stupid. I'm like, oh, my God, it takes this. I might as well just take up my mom on her offer and go become a doctor because that is so much easier. Yeah. Like, you know, what is going on? So then, you know, so that's why I'm just like, no, no, no. Like even today I go there and I can spend like three hours going through like this debate where they're talking about why this monitor is better because the off white on this is like, you know, four axes off or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> dude, just stop it. Just stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. Like, let's just move on. I want to ask you this because there is a way that I look at your page and, and get like a certain impression. But I want to ask you. Do you believe in like staying in your lane, whatever it is that you're kind of, you know, being known for and you're doing? Do you believe in staying in that or are you OK with just kind of jumping around? I don't believe anyone has to stay in their lane. I like the idea of jumping around. The The few exceptions would be I, I personally would never want to jump around and like go and take somebody else's thing. So like if somebody's got a certain way that they present information and I'm like, oh, I like that. Um, let me go and just like use that. I don't ever want to do that. And I in particular, I just I really, really enjoy filmmaking in general. The Oppenheimer video in particular was a little bit different from the other content that I've done. Like it's not very cinematography based. It's very effects based. And I've actually had a few people reach out to me talking about like, hey, we might want to hire you for some practical effects. And I'm like, what you see in that YouTube video is the extent of my practical effects experience. Well, that's pretty um, good. <laughs> I have I have no clue how to do all that. So that felt very like out of what I was more known for. And right now, cinematography is super interesting to me. But eventually, I am going to probably enjoy a little more editing or like storytelling, like writing or something like that. So I probably will shift in those directions as I see fit. I, I feel as though I want to share a journey as me as a filmmaker 
where I'm interested in and what I'm super passionate about so that it all comes across very authentically. Like, Hey, this is the thing that I'm like super excited about. And I want to share with you because I'm learning it too. I love that. I love that. And I feel like it it does come off that way. It's there's so much education in your reels, but it never comes off as like, yo, dummies, listen up. This is how you should do it. It's always just like sort of like, oh, he's going to like take me, take me through this journey. Like William, like, you know, I watch a recent one about euphoria, the silhouette shot. And I watched it and I'm like, oh, my God, it's so good. And, you know, I want to jump around a little bit from that, too. And I want to ask majority of your color work that I'm noticing that obviously you don't kind of push yourself for, but because you are like getting a lot in camera, which is always the right mindset, always one trillion percent, like the thing that a lot of people don't understand. They just think, well, that's why we have you for, you know, like (laughs) take this normally lit shot and give me teal and orange, right? Like just make the door teal. And like, you know, you're just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, it doesn't work (laughs) like that. You know, let's talk about like your specs. Do you have a specific monitor that you use or just like some consumer level monitor? No, I am using a MacBook Pro, an M1 MacBook Pro, and I'm using that display because it's the best display I've got. It's not bad. If you just leave it as is, I think like because the way you got to think about uh, these things is like, where is your content mostly assume, you know consumed? And it's going to be on an iPhone, on an iPad and, you know, Max, like majority, because I feel like a lot of creatives kind of go in that direction. You know, uh, arguments right here, like PC versus Mac. But I personally feel like every major production house that I worked with, they mostly had like Macs. Mm-hmm. When I when it comes to visual effects departments, PCs, like no question. Like anytime there was like a visual effects, like little department working on a Dodge campaign, whatever, all PC. So that I have to say, but editing, color grading, a lot of it was on Mac. And I think, you know, again, with their displays, like they're, they really dialed it in where it looks pretty good. Like with my main monitor, BVM, which is crazy, it's like a $30,000 monitor, but that again is the same monitor that they use to grade every single Hollywood movie and show. So with this monitor, when I take my iPhone and I put it like this, I'm like, holy hell, like this is 90% there. Like it just, it looks like that. And then I grab my iPad and put it next to it. And I'm like, oh, that's 70% there. That's like so much magenta. Then I take my laptop and I put it next to it. And I go, contrast, nailed it. Colors, iPad, 70%. So there is some magenta, right? So like usually Mac screens tend to run cooler. So just like something that you probably want to just like remember. But obviously when you're grading, it's really hard to kind of see that. But sometimes you can just look at the scopes and go, well, it's clearly warm. I'm looking at the scopes. Everything is leaning in that quadrant. But you're telling me that my whites are looking blue, you know? Mm. And that's how you would just know. You're just like, it's not, the monitor is not calibrated. Like I can just tell, like God gave us, I feel like there's something in our eyes like where we can just see the whites being white. Yeah. And we yes. can tell, like you can just show me the screen and I can just look at it and be like, ah, that has a little bit of like warmth to that white. Obviously, maybe I'm saying that because my wife is always like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, we'll be driving down the road and I'm like, oh, like you see the magenta on the road? And she's like, no, it's gray. Like, what are you talking about? I have that with my girlfriend, too, where I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is a little bit like green shifted or magenta shifted. And and she's like, what do you mean? It's gray. It's just like it's it's the most plain color you've ever seen. I tried to explain color grading to her and she was so confused. I'm like, can you see the difference between noise reduction and not? And she's like. No, not at all. I don't see what's happening. 
that's that's always tough. And what's really funny, what you're saying is like, let me ask you this. Do you ever deal with like, do you ever go through that where it's like you cut your windows down and you're looking out and it just looks how it's supposed to look. And then you put the window up and there's so much green. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like it drives me crazy, dude. This was like one of the reasons why I didn't do a, my, because in California, it's so freaking hot. So when I was putting tinted windows on my car, a lot of people do that with their windshield. So then it protects your dash and all that. And do you want to do that? And I'm like, okay, is there any color shift? And the guy goes, yeah, but you know, you won't be able to notice it. I'm like, dude, I will be able to notice it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, no, dude, I'm not going with that. Okay. Let's talk about your empire. So what's happening right now? Oppenheimer came out. And then same thing happened on Instagram. So I think the reel came out after the video, right? Yes. Like the YouTube video. So when that happened, how much pressure does that, was the reel always made or did you make it afterwards? I had a, in my head, I was like, okay, so I've got three videos that I'm going to be making from this YouTube video. I made the first one, which was a little bit of a promotional, which ended up just being the intro section of the YouTube video. Fun story. I'll go a little aside and then I'll come back. Fun story with that little intro. That was actually one of the last things that I edited for the YouTube video. And I didn't initially have that in mind. I was going to go straight into me talking about like, hey, this is who I am. Or this is what I do on TikTok. And then I saw a video from uh, Hayden Hillier Smith, mm -hmm. his podcast, yes. where he talks about that intro section, like delivering on what the thumbnail promises in the first little bit. I really wanted to keep the nuke completely hidden from the audience. But after hearing that, I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something in, in the intro. So I did, and it was one of the best decisions I made because I think that that plays a large part into that video. That intro section was one of my videos. That second reel, I knew I wanted some quick edit from, from the video that kind of showcases the setup. I was under the impression, I was like, I might as well just put this out there. I had zero expectation of it doing well. I spent an hour and a half on it with no plan ahead of time. I had no clue what it was going to look like. I just kind of threw some stuff together. And then it did so, so, so well. Oh, my goodness. That was such a surprise to me. Dude, because sometimes what happens is that you do something, it blows up. You're like, oh, my God, I wonder if it's going to do the same like on other platforms. And then it, it also adds a little bit of pressure because, again, real is not the same as like long form. Because uh, when I do, I love doing polls. And when I do a poll on Instagram, you would be surprised like how often the results are kind of opposite to like what people are saying on YouTube. Whoa. So that, that's like, because I do it together. And then I look at like, I'm doing one right now. And it's about when you watch content on YouTube, do you use headphones or device speaker? And on Instagram, everybody's saying device speaker. And on YouTube, everybody's saying headphones. Whoa. And this is what I'm saying. There are things like that because then when I'm doing sound design, I'm like, what should I tailor it to? So I think the answer is like when I'm working on reels, just use the device speakers. And then when I'm editing for YouTube, maybe do it on headphones because yeah. if a lot of people are watching it on headphones. So I feel like it's very interesting to me. So keeping those things in mind. I feel like the analysis paralysis sometimes can kick in. That's why I was just curious to ask you, like, you know, you do this thing, it blows up, it goes nuts. And then you go, oh, God, like, I got to follow that <laughs> for reals. And like, let me see what happens. And then the same thing happened. I'm like, I was just seeing how fast that reel was blowing up. And I'm like, dude, like, did he just found 
did he just find like a universal code to like how to hack the algorithms? Like what just happened? Like this is blowing my mind. I'm like, he's probably feeling like a 5,000 feet tall right now. He's just like, dude, I can't make a mistake. Yeah, that that was wild. And I definitely, I, I do actually intentionally now, because it's, it's happened twice where when I initially started making content, I did TikTok first and that did pretty well. And then I took all those videos that I made on TikTok and I put them all on Instagram and I did it very consistently, like every day during the weekdays. And my account went from like a few thousand followers to almost 300,000 followers within like two months. That was super paralyzing. And I took a, a period of time where I was really not making almost anything for like a month after the Oppenheimer video, I intentionally, knowing that that could potentially happen, I intentionally decided, okay, I'm taking one week and I'm going to be doing nothing. And then after that, I'll start getting into shooting and editing some stuff again and just kind of slowly reintroducing stuff. Because it's not, I'm not trying to like race to some like, let's get more metrics in. It's just that it's that reminder of like these metrics, all all the huge performance and all that, that's super, super cool. But it's not like, all that matters. I want to make stuff that I enjoy and not feel a pressure to make stuff because something did well and I need to capitalize on another thing or something. 1000%. And one of the people that I look up to so much and the content that he puts out, his name is Johnny Harris. He's from Vox and he puts out videos on basically politics, but he does it in a way because he's a journalist, but the way he packages everything it's just, it's chef's kiss. It's like, it makes Netflix documentaries look like a last minute job. Like, you know, you just look at them and you're just like, dude, you could have put more thought into it because this guy's work is just, like I said, I mean, and, and the pacing and how you're saying, like he's starting with like over delivering on that promise of a thumbnail and a title and then going into the video and delivering everything and every time I watch a video I go yes dude like this is what I want to do and sometimes his videos his videos normally come out like every 10 days sometimes longer sometimes shorter like you know once a week but I don't know how he's producing that level that caliber of work uh one video a week so that means he's probably like a couple of months ahead like I would say But that said, I personally feel like, again, going back to being creative, quality will always prevail. You can even look at the CPMs or or RPMs. You can just look at how much you're getting paid per thousand views. And you can see like the quality of work that you're doing, because if your stuff is not quality, they're going to be running my pillow commercials on your channel. And then, you know, your RPM is going to be really low. But if your quality is really good, And if I'm doing tutorials on color grading, if you're doing tutorials on cinematography, lighting, they'll probably be like B&H will be running commercials. Like they will be running commercials about cameras and lighting and that stuff is expensive. So then you're going to get paid more from YouTube and keeping that quality for those reasons. is very important. I feel like these are the things like nuances that a lot of people don't think about. And that's why I tell people don't dilute your brand because you want to put one reel a day. Because this is based on my personal experience because I'm trying to rebuild my audience that I had about two years ago. And that's because I started swimming in a different type of Kool-Aid in the middle. And it was just like, yeah, like more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And then you burn out and you're like, no stuff. And then you go back and you're like, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And you're like, no stuff. And it's just, people are just like, dude, like wake up, like come out of like this, whatever spell you're under. 
And it's just like, I was better when I was naive, when I was just doing what I thought was right. And now I got smarter and now I have all this data in front of me and I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not, you know? So, so yeah. I give you props on being level headed and sticking to like your strategy. Cause I think it's just going to pay in, in a, in a long run. And I want to ask you, like, are there any opportunities that actually lucrative opportunities that came out of Oppenheimer video? Nothing that's been like followed through on yet, but there's definitely been. So I, I had a producer contact me about working on a film Jesus. and I've got the script in hand and I'm, I'm looking at that. It's going to be a ways out, obviously, because of the strikes and stuff, but it's at least like that was offered to me, which is really, really, really cool. What else? I had a few companies reach out to me. Nothing really set in stone yet, but just talking about like, what would a future YouTube video look like if we were to sponsor it? The big thing though, is that because this is just one video, I don't have like a ton of evidence to suggest that I could do it again. So, you know, a company would have to take a little bit of a risk making a few more. I think that'll give them a better idea of like, okay, this is, this is what it looks like. This is how many views I get. And this is how brand inter integration would go and stuff like that. But there, there's definitely been a few opportunities like this. This live stream is one of them. I had a podcast reach out to me. Lots of cool stuff from it. No, dude, it's just like, you know, your brand and, and you know yourself where you are, but I can just tell you there's so much more. Like, I think for you to make more videos to prove your worth to like the directors and producers, I mean, you will do it because you love doing it, but I feel like you're going to be overcooking it. You've already done it because they can go. And once again, like, you know, your, your Instagram and TikTok is your portfolio because you're not a kid. Once again, like, you know, where there's food, you know, coming out of your mouth while you're talking and it's just like, you're, producing this content i mean they can even just like listen to your announcer voice when you just start the video and you're like in this shot like i love that like i'm just like man is he taking like acting classes like what's going on like it's so proper and it's so right like i'm just like i'm watching a real thing i'm watching a legit thing and there is a thing like where people say on social media you should be more transparent and they put transparency with like less quality less polish mm. they're just like oh strip that out because people want to see the camera moving right like add a freaking camera shake and post. So like, it feels like somebody's holding that camera and somebody's in your face. And again, I always say, if you're Jordan Belfort and you're talking about like, you know, how to sell blah, 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 blah. And somebody's walking and talking, that makes sense. But like, if you are deacons, it would make a lot more sense if he's sitting in a place that is beautifully lit and he's speaking and you're like, yeah. this is more like it. Like, I don't want him to be like walking and talking and all that. So, you know, people just constantly have to think about what audience do I want to reach? Where do I want to go? And then when the opportunity knocks on my door, will I be equipped and ready for it and go, yeah, I got this. I can do this all day long. On that note, I do want to ask you, are you actually working with Aperture or is it a brand deal? Like the stuff that uh, you're doing for them? Yeah. So I work with Amran more so than Aperture. I mean, same company, but the budget division, I have a contract with them. I make content weekly for them and we consider it a uh, affiliate partnership type sort, of, sort of situation. I don't like work for them, I'm still contracted. What about Shot Deck? Same thing? Yeah, a little bit less. They're more occasional, but yeah, similar situation. Because I wanted to ask, you know, like that's a conversation that I feel like is very important too, because everybody always talks about like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Beautiful advice. How the F do you do that? Yeah. Right. So like, and how do you actually make it viable, make it work? Because 
ultimately the worst thing that happens to most creators is that we start doing stuff, we blow up, we go outside of our means, and now we like got trapped. Yeah. Now I have to make X amount of money and I have to put X amount of videos a month to stay afloat. So that yeah. thing that I started doing because I loved it now just became like, I have to do it or else what else, you know, like I, I can't survive. So this is like something that's extremely important to kind of keep in mind. And I think talking about these things, that's why it's very important because it's just like, now it makes sense. Like, I'm not sure they're paying you so much that you can just like, don't have to look for another job, but still it's very smart because then you get to do all the stuff that you're doing. That's getting a lot of views. And it's not just like a ad, like that will kill your reach because you're putting out this amazing content. And most of the time, I can't even tell the difference between okay, hold on. Is that a partnership video or is it his video? And that is an amazing that's a, thing. That's like, a huge goal of, of what I do. I, I really want to try and make it seem like partnership videos have just as much effort. They're not like, let's throw a brand out. That's what I say to companies who reach out to me is like, I would want to integrate your product super organically so that it's almost like you weren't even sponsoring the video in the first place. 1000%. And it, it like I said, it, it comes through and I think people can take a page out of that book. I was like so against brand deals forever because I just feel like, well, first of all, I have my own product. So like I have a call to action in every video to my product. So it's mm -hmm. like, I know the metrics and I know the money that I make on the back end with that. So then why am I going with like, you know, promoting somebody else, even if they're paying me 5,000, 10,000, whatever. I'm just like, it's not, I can make more. Do, yeah. So then why do I dilute my brand for someone else? But the bigger, bigger problem that I had is that we don't want to do back and forth. Like, I don't, I'm not going to let somebody come into my brand and then tell me, hey, send me stuff to get it approved. I'm like, dude, like what is really happening? Like, you know, that is just not going to be the thing. So what I want to talk about next is like when you're doing these partnerships, I think I kind of now know how you're operating, but I still want to kind of ask that question. So. When you're doing these deals or in the near future, are you seeing yourself handling the business side and the creative side? Or do you want to have someone to kind of take over the, the business side, the boring stuff? That's a great question because I do very much find the business stuff to not be, it stresses me out. I'm not great at it. And I, I do it because I have to. And like to, to your idea of like, you know, if you do what you love, you won't work a day in your life. Not, not really. I mean, like the stuff I love to do. Yeah, that doesn't feel like work, but the stuff that has to support it, there's always things that you won't enjoy a part of any career path. So I don't enjoy that. I would really love to hand it off to somebody else. I guess part of it is I don't know exactly where to look. I do have a friend who helps manage some of those sorts of things. But again, it's that like, he doesn't entirely know what that all looks like and stuff like that. So there's definitely a lot of that business realm of things that I could, I could learn a little more about, but I'm generally pretty content as long as I'm making enough to live off of and I can do this as a job, I'm quite content. And if I end up being presented with plenty of more opportunities or my accounts grow to a, to a degree where I'm like, I could really use more of a team, then I would pursue more to try and get more like business and money from all this so I can uh, just keep expanding. So then like, let's, let's talk about it for a second. So in that sense, 
are you doing majority of the work that we're seeing yourself? Or do you have an editor, sound designer? Do you have somebody who's doing graphics? Or are you basically just the, the man behind the curtain? I have somebody who shoots my behind the scenes. So they, they use a phone, my phone, and they film behind the scenes stuff. Beyond that, I am pretty much doing it all with the help of friends for free. Like friends will give me a place to, to use and they'll help out on set, um, setting things up and stuff. But everything editing wise and in post-production is all me. Business stuff is all me. It's exhausting. <laughs> it is, but I think it's epic. Like the thing is that you got to be in the dirt and you got to be in the clouds in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you should do it as long as you can, because then you can make the right tire. Yes. You'll know exactly what it should take. Like, I know how long it should take to edit a YouTube video. I know what goes into editing a YouTube video. When somebody drops the ball, like last week, I had a sound designer that finished up my video and I'm like, dude, I hate this. Like, it just, it doesn't sound good. And then I'm like, on top of it, he was also dropping music in there too. And I'm like, dude, you're using like Southern, like I'm from freaking Texas music. There's nothing wrong with being from Texas, but I'm like, I'm more about hip hop. Like, that's just my vibe. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? You've seen my other content. It doesn't go like it just it's not going with the vibe. And I'm like, we got to switch that up. And then I had to jump in. So my mm -hmm. whole weekend plans changed. And it's like, baby, like no, no play. Like I got to work. And then I'm here like for two days. I did all the music, you know, and then I did all the sound design and touched up my voice and everything. And I'm just like, it's got to get done and it's got to get done. Right. So like, I feel like me doing that stuff for years, for decades or a decade, it helps to just be like, if somebody's going to drop the ball somewhere, I can come in. And then I also know who to hire, the right person to hire. So that's why I'm saying I'm actually happy for you. Like, it seems like a lot, not to mention that it kind of just turns you into like a freaking beast <laughs> because you're like, I can handle all of this. I can run all of this and give me more, give me more. Yeah. I can take more. So I don't believe in the thing of, like one day you'll burn out and don't ever listen to those people that say that because they're not doing it when, when you don't do ish then you do one thing you're just going to be like oh dude you gave me two things i'm burning out bro and you're yeah. like and there's other people that are doing 18 things a day and they're totally fine they don't have heart attacks like nothing is happening they're totally fine it's just how do you push yourself right so i personally feel like it's not a bad deal to do it yourself but it, it is kind of crazy to me with the amount of content you're putting out how consistent you are the quality that you maintain and for it to be mostly like one one man band it's very impressive that's that's kind of crazy thank you and, and like i said the quality of content like it sounds so good it looks so good it's presented so well and i think talking about that i am curious to know your start to finish process like i kind of want to go from you got an idea you got inspired when it comes when it starts with inspiration how does it go into the, the pre-production, production, and post? Like, just kind of walk us through the process. How does it work for you? Yeah, so pre-production, I try my very, very best to know what I'm going to talk about in the video ahead of time. Obviously, there's some degree to which there's you're going to get on set, things are going to go horribly wrong, and you're going to have to adjust the plan. But I try to have a few ideas of what I, what I would do ahead of time so that I can shoot for it. When I get into shooting, which involves generally like a week ahead of time planning, like I'll, I'll have the idea two weeks ahead of time and then 
we'll go and plan it a week before we shoot it. I try and do things wrong before I do them right. So every step has to happen one at a time, which it could be a lot more efficient. Like if you're making a film, it's a lot more efficient if you're just, you know, all the different moving parts can happen simultaneously and you get the final shot. But when you're making content, you have to do every single step one at a time so that you can get it on video. And then I'll do things intentionally incorrectly, show people that, and then do it correctly. That generally takes like four or five hours with a, a more involved shoot. With something a little more simple, I plan on like two to three. Then I bring that footage into DaVinci. I shoot in RAW with the Black Magic, bring it into DaVinci, do color grading, export in ProRes, then bring that footage into Premiere along with all the behind the scenes stuff. And editing is something that I can do pretty quickly. So it takes me like two to three hours with some of the shorter videos to edit them. And I've learned a lot of editing quickly like that because I did uh, weddings. Mm -hmm. I edited one wedding a week. Um, oh, Jesus, yeah. Sometimes two. And these were like four to five minute videos with a bunch of footage and music and all these like narrative pieces from from like the ceremony and stuff. A lot of work, really, really exhausting. But yeah. you do that enough and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I thought weddings took like three weeks to edit, but I can do one in a few days now. So it wasn't too daunting to, to approach videos like this and to get them done in a few hours. So that's sort of the process. And I generally get those videos done days before they post, if not the day of posting. So I'm not like very far ahead. Okay, yeah, I mean, you're far ahead compared to me because I'm basically the stuff that's going up today I'm gonna start shooting right now <laughs> like I <laughs> I I was a terrible student for that reason because, because I just like left everything to the last second I was a horrible student in high school uh, or in school but I was a great student in college like I, I was a really good student in college because I feel like I I was like I have a voice in the classes that I want to take the things that matter yeah. to me so then yeah. I'm like hell yeah I'm gonna go all in you know, so like, I still remember like my cinematography and my lighting 101 book, like I read them back to back. And that was like my favorite thing to do. Like, I would just like use it as like a hand guide, like, you know, handbook. And I would be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's right here. Like, this is how the ratio works. And then I have a light meter in front of me. And like, I'm just so into it. And I'm like, that's all I ever wanted. You know, I um with, with me creating content, I feel like those bad habits kind of trickle in, like where I just I get the thrill, like the last second thrill, right? Like the video goes up at 6 a.m. It's freaking 10 p.m. And I'm going to get to work and I'm like, yes, like it's going to go up tomorrow, guys. And I make a post so like I could stay accountable. And I'm like, it's going to happen. Like I'm going to I'm going to put it all together. But I'm I'm doing the same thing. I'm working really hard to get a few weeks weeks ahead because mm -hmm. when you listen to like you know content giants like mr beast and those guys and they are just people even sm much smaller on a much smaller scale than him but people that do youtube like for the longest time i look at youtube as like it's just a thing that i do and i think i am now realizing to say that i can consider myself a, a full-time youtuber and I want to take it as that role, like where, yes, I'm a colorist. Yes, I'm a working professional. I got like three projects I'm working on this week, but I can't look at this YouTube thing like a side thing. It's not. 
And, yeah. and it's not. I, I take the most pride in those videos. Even the projects that I work on, I love because then they go out and they get millions of views because it's like a big celebrity attached to it. It's a music video or something and it's going to blow up. I love that. But I take the most pride in like when I'm working on my content for YouTube because I feel like it just it, it has to represent me the way I want to be represented. And if not, if I made a mistake and loaded, uploaded that video, I might unlist it because that is not a good representation of like my skill set and what I do, you know? So I feel like some of those things are just kind of important to keep in mind, especially when you're doing a personal brand, like brand building, like how you and I, people know us by our names, not by our companies. Yeah. So it's kind of important for us to like then just be like in our fields, like be good at it. But once again, that doesn't mean to like get into analysis paralysis, cripple yourself because even like everything that you said today, it sounded amazing that, yeah, it takes this long to, to make a reel, but then you have a reel done. Moving like kind of deep diving into that topic, like are you batch like prepping your stuff? Like are you shooting six reels a day or three reels a day and then editing the next day? Or is it like one, you shoot a reel, you edit a reel, and then that reel is ready and you're going to do it again tomorrow? Ish. So I will shoot multiple like I'll try and coordinate locations so that we shoot two shots at one location or something like that. They take long enough that we we haven't been able to do more than like two in a day. It I just, believe it. I yeah, believe it. You get prepped in the morning and then you shoot in one in the afternoon, you eat and you shoot the other in the evening. But I do try and batch those together. And then sometimes I'll do my talking heads together. But most of the time it's, it's one at a time. I, I found that if I, I get too far ahead on certain things, my excitement for that that shot kind of dwindles as mm -hmm. time goes on because we already got it. Mm -hmm. And so talking about it, it's like, oh yeah, what did we do two weeks ago again? Love so I, I try and I try and keep it pretty, pretty close to to when uh when we're shooting it and stuff. You said you grade and resolve, you edit in Premiere Pro. A lot of people do that standard process, but why not edit in resolve? I mean, I don't work for Resolve, so I'm not, I'm not putting you on blast. I'm just curious. There are a few specific keyboard shortcuts that I learned when doing weddings that I use so consistently now. One in particular is move playhead to cursor in Premiere. <clears throat> it's not bound automatically, but I have bound it to one of my keys that's really close to my cut key. So I literally, with my, with my cursor, I just... I move around and I just like have my playhead follow that. And then I make my cuts everywhere. I, I also, I use trackpad, um, which Premiere works really well with trackpad and DaVinci. I've been confused with how DaVinci works with the trackpad. It's small things. It's really small things. And I'm just so used to Premiere at this point that switching over would take a bit of time to get used to. And the content would slow down drastically yes. for a period of time. I believe it. I got super lucky because I got to learn different tools when I was working my full-time job in 2010 to 2012. And I consider myself a really fast editor. So I would have a week to do a couple of videos and I would get them done in like three days. And then my boss would be like, well, do whatever the hell you want for the next two days. And then I would just, and we had so much CapEx. And for those that don't know what CapEx is like, you know, you get X amount of money every year your department does. So like we would get $150,000, let's just say, and they'll go, Kazi, come up with stuff that we can spend 150 grand on. Like, <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? And I would be like, dude, I don't want anything. Like, 
we have these lenses. And he would be like, yeah, this is good, but can we get a better lens? I'm like, yeah, we can go Zeiss. That would be like $6,000 a lens. And he's like, yes, get me six of six of those. Can you find six of them? And I'm like, yes, I can. So then we will go do that. Or he'll be like, which camera? Yeah, we can use like this $8,000 camera. He's like, what about the 20 grand one? And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, yeah, get two of those. You know, so we would do that. And then that helped me get my hands on the craziest stuff. And that's where I got my hands on a panel. And that wasn't a DaVinci panel back then because DaVinci only had the advanced panel. Avid had a color panel. So back in 2010, I ordered that through the company because I'm like, this guy is like, just ah, find more stuff. And I'm like, okay, dude, we can also get this, like this, this thing like that has like some things. Like I'm like, let's just get this thing and let me see what it does. And I got it. And I started playing with it and then I bought, you know, uh, Resolve and started playing with it. And I'm like, oh my God. So I think I, I just kind of got hooked on jumping around in different tools and then like really get in the bones and kind of learn it for what it is and then come out and make my decision. So yeah, I loved Premiere so much for the templates and, and the integration between Audition and After Effects and Photoshop. It's oh my God, it just turns you into a superhuman when you just go boom, like dynamic linking, right? And you're in After Effects and you do seven things, save, boom, it's in your timeline in Premiere Pro and you're like, dude, I'm flying through. I, I don't have a lot of uh, bad things to say about Premiere. I must say that it does chug a little bit and it does crash more. So not as much as like the memes make it to be, but I feel like it does crash more with... Yeah. Uh, with Resolve, I don't experience that. But just like you, most of my graphics are done in After Effects because that's all I know to do graphics. And so I, I was just curious. I just kind of wanted to know, like, you know, and, and it makes so much sense. Like, especially it's always the nuance, like small things that you're saying. You're just like, the transition is going to take so long because it's going to turn into a game of whack-a-mole. You're going to switch to Resolve and you're going to be like, oh, no, I found I found like this tool here, too. So I can do that. But then you're going to be in a pinch and you have to put out a video and you're going to be like, dude, how am I going to do this yeah. one thing? And you won't find an answer anywhere. So I get it. Yeah. Actually, interesting to say, I don't do any sort of graphic animation stuff in After Effects. There are quite a few of the same tools in After Effects that you'll find in Premiere as well. Like you can add the transform effect in Premiere, which then comes with motion blur, which is one of the big mm -hmm. reasons why you would go to, to After Effects instead. And then obviously there's there's standard keyframing and stuff. So all of my graphics stuff, I keep in Premiere. I try and stay in Premiere as long as possible because I just switching over and stuff like that. I don't under I don't understand After Effects nearly as well as I do Premiere. So. That's a great advice. What is the um, idea behind sending your clip and grading it first? Because I'm assuming you're baking it, right? So you're going in Resolve, just because you're shooting in B-Raw, that's why? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's that's the main reason. I mean, I just, I don't like Premiere's color grading oh, very much. Of course, and yeah. Okay. There's like, there's like no great, at least none that I know of, no great color management stuff in Premiere either. So I've just gotten so used to color grading DaVinci. It always turns out so much better. So it's worth it to me to to send it there first, export it, and then, and then run from there. Okay. Okay. It it's just always interesting to know everybody's process because so many people would just do a slap a lot in Premiere Pro. I actually don't know. Does Premiere take B-Raws or no? Uh, you can get a Blackmagic plugin that allows okay. B-Raw to be played on your computer and used in Premiere. Okay, okay, okay. 
Okay. So I'm, so then from that, like I would say, I come from like a traditional editing background. And with that, like we will just all this work off of proxies. So it doesn't matter something is shot with Alexa, whatever. Like I just get like a super shitty clip, you know, that's like a super low quality proxy. And then I would just edit in that and then I would send it out. Right. And then it'll get graded. So it's just very interesting. I do that for my personal stuff, what you're saying. So because I'm working with a couple of editors. So what I do is when I'm doing an assembly for them, I just grade it. So like I bake in the grade, right? So like then we don't run into random issues. Like I send a log, he finished it, he sent it back. And now the colors have shifted somehow. So when I apply the grade, the quality is degraded, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, let's just take out all the variables that we can. So there's like absolutely like zero chance for error. You want to make it the entire process fail safe. So that that makes a lot of sense. Before I let you go, I do want to ask, do you have like any, like a long-term goal that you're striving toward? Like, is there like a five-year plan that you're trying to hit and then everything is kind of going toward that? Or are you kind of just like living in the moment and building as you go? I would say more so living in the moment and building as I go, but there is something that in the next five years I would love to do. So I, I started by making short films and that was always just like a, I mean, I still enjoy doing that. I haven't done it in a while. I wanted to kind of improve my skills in a lot of areas before I kind of went back at it. And now that content creation was my job, taking the time for a short film would be, it, it would be difficult, but I still want to do it. And then I can make that into content. So at some point soon here, I, I want to start making short films for short form, but all of that to say, I want to slowly increase that runtime of short films that I would put out onto YouTube to the point where I make a feature film. And then my hope is that that is going to be happening within five years. And I think it's something that a lot of, a lot of us, especially what you showed, is going to be looking forward to because not to put pressure on you, right? Like that there is a certain expectations now. But at the same time, I can share my personal experience that, yeah, don't put that stuff on the back burner. There, there are still like about four scripts that I had back in 2008, 2009 that I wanted to do, turn them into short films. And I moved to California from Chicago and then it just became a game of like, well, we got to pay the rent, right? Like, so then it's just like, we got to work. I got to work. I got to work. Like, you know, we don't have family here that we could just be like, let's not live in our home for two years and like, you know, stay at their place and then figure things out but it's like one thing led to the next and like you're saying you know like how you said which resonated with me so much that you're like if I'm passionate about a shot and I just did that shot then I want to do a talking head right away yeah because I'm stoked about it and that's when I wrote those scripts rough scripts back in the day I thought it was going to be the biggest thing I don't feel the same now yeah. You know, so that's why I don't even know where they are. I, I think they're on one of my drives, but it just like, you know what I mean? So I would like, I will just empower you to do this. And I th think one of the ways that you can help, you know, kind of like fast track that journey would be to find like a helping hand, somebody who can cut your stuff or, or get it really close. And then you can come in and do your fairy dust, like, you know, like, yeah. and then just like make it perfect. I'm not going to tell you like, oh, I got that nailed, but I am figuring that stuff out. And I think it gets pretty crazy. Like this is the first time I'm getting to a place where I can back, 
at shoot three YouTube videos. And you know, my YouTube videos take a lot of time to make because I work on the scripts for a very long time. Like I try to tighten everything up, like keep chipping away, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's just like, you know, hey, how did you like sculpt David? And it's like, I kept like just sculpting like until, you know, nothing else was left. It was just David, like that kind of idea. So I, I, I write a script, advanced noise reduction techniques for beginners. And then I'll just keep chipping away. Like, no, 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 that's a fluff, yeah. that's a fluff. I don't care about that. And then once it's tight, that's one video. That's then another video, do research, blah, blah, blah. That's another video. And then this is the first time where I'm in a flow, like where I just shot three videos in a few days, like in two days. And then I just shipped them to my editor. And then they're graded. They're basically sound designed. And now he just gets to do his thing, put everything together. And then it's going to be first cut, second cut, final, right? So we're just going to have, and then we have dates in place to kind of start nailing it. And I feel like, because I'm thinking about it, that's what I did for companies when I was working full-time for them. Like, you know, that was the process. And then everything had that consistency without the cost of loss in quality. So I feel like, you know, if, you like eventually if you start thinking about like let's add that extra person because that's then it could be that person could be your mini you and then that opens you up to be like now i'm gonna put four hours three hours every day to work toward that short and uh, it's just gonna fuel you up so much that you know when when we're excited like that we can't even go to sleep because we want to wake up and we want to keep going do that thing yeah yeah and and making a feature film or even just short films one of the things I would love to do is I'd love to show people the process of what that looks like. Cause I, I know for a lot of people there's, they just are pretty intimidated to start on their first short film or they start and they don't know what it's supposed to look like. Now, I, I don't think there's any supposed to look like anything, but I have figured out a way of doing it that is without any education in filmmaking or understanding. Like I've been on one film set in my life and that was, uh, a reality TV show. So I don't know what a normal film set looks like, but I've figured out a way of going about things. And I'd want to share that with people so that others could have a first approach to, to stuff like that. And a journey to a feature film would be a really, really, really interesting and cool thing to showcase to people. And like democratizing that sector is just so good. I feel like that was one of the things that like blew up film riots so much back in the day because it was like showing that you know, you could be not from LA and still make really cool films. You can still collaborate with all these people and just do really dope stuff. And I feel like for you to kind of do that, take it to the next level, do it your own way, because you have so much finesse and you have so much of like all those things inherent, like in your DNA, the way you present the content. So then it just becomes, you know, like I said, you you did so many reels that, you know, knowingly or subliminally, like you're bringing in so many of those elements into your video that is so airtight. And then even the information that you're letting in, let's just say listening to Hayden and Hillier, and then all those things that you're grabbing, other people might not get that at all or might not apply it. So listening to an advice is one thing, taking it and implementing implementing it is a completely different thing. That's mm-hmm. where people drop the ball, right? Because I always say learning is the biggest form of procrastination, Yes, right? Because anytime we want to do something, what do we do? Let me learn about it first. So like for the next week, 
I'm going to do nothing. Nothing is on my calendar. I'm just going to learn about this thing. Then when I do it, it's going to be so great. It's just, it's, we're procrastinating. Yeah. That's just what we're doing. You know, so like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just, the, there's all those elements that come together. And with all your knowledge and your execution, I feel like if you make a short, short film, it's just going to be a banger because it's going to have all of those elements into it. So I'll be the first one to look forward to it. And before we end, let people know where they can follow you. I am on Instagram and TikTok as William H. Baker. There's dots between William H. and Baker. And then on YouTube, William H. Baker as well. You can expect more YouTube videos from me about once a month on YouTube for the foreseeable future. Lots of cool stuff coming. We've got some interesting plans. So yeah, the next one should be up pretty soon here, like in the next few weeks. Dude. Like, this was amazing. There's a lot of, like, content creators and modern-day filmmakers, and I call them modern-day filmmakers because, just like yourself, people nowadays are jack-of-all-trades, but master of all, right? Like, they're really good at everything. Yeah. So, to those people, is there one thing that you can tell someone, let's just say somebody who's sitting at 200 followers is struggling to grow, what is, like, one thing that they can start doing today that can really help us? get to that next level. So what I ran into just before I started posting content was that I was in that boat of like just learning. And I had a lot of the same, like it was very interesting. You start posting content and you end up with like more more following and people start to take you seriously. And they're like, oh, you, you, know, you know stuff. And it's like, I knew all this before that. I think one of the biggest things that people run into is that they just, they just don't put stuff out there. They're just kind of waiting. They're biding their time. They're not really, they're not really, um, making things and letting people know what they're making. And, and I think biggest thing is just putting stuff out there. I love it. It's so simple and it's so wise because the worst thing that happened to humankind is the phenomenon analysis paralysis. We just get stuck and we just think, you know, I want to do a cinematography reel and I go see William Baker doing his thing and I go, well, mine is not going to be as good as his. So why do it? Or maybe watch his content for the next six hours and I might be able to do it. But after I consume your content for six hours, I just realize how much worse I am compared to you yeah. doing this one thing. So then I just go, well, let's just put on, on FIFA. Let's play some games, you know, like. And, and that's, and then the cycle repeats. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Like just put your head down and go, keep doing it. The only way to get better is by practicing and your new work is going to be better than your last. I don't give a shit how much time you spent, what you did with it. Oppenheimer video was freaking epic, but you know, like next Nolan's project where he's going to do no, like, you know, VFX, CGI. And when you're going to make that video, even whether it gets, the views or not that video in production is going to be better than Oppenheimer like I can mm -hmm. even speak for you and say that that's just the way it works yeah brother it was a pleasure thank you so much yeah thanks so much for having me peace brother if you enjoyed this episode then please leave a review it helps so much subscribe to the podcast for more content and I will see you in the next one